Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue saying, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself, and say, Do here in in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was closed for three and a half years and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Last week we encountered our fourth epiphany in a row. Christ opened the scroll in the synagogue. He turns to that passage that speaks of the Messiah and how when he comes, it will be the beginning of the year that is favorable to the Lord, the beginning of a jubilee year, a time where God will set captives free, where debts will be forgiven. He rolls up the scroll and proclaims, and this is where we pick up this, the readings today. Last week's and this week's readings are intimately tied. He says, this, is, this prophetic passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, you just heard it right here from me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And what happens next? Ooh, ah, they speak highly of him. And then basically like a modern version of like, aren't you Joseph's boy? Oh, bless your heart. But he's not done with the homily. He knows their hearts have grown cold. And thus, he does what St. Paul would teach Timothy to do, one of the first bishops. He proclaims in that letter, preach the word, insist on it in season and out of season, refute falsehood, correct error, call to obedience. Jesus, the word of God himself, this is what he does. Part of his mission to save is to come and wake up people, to convict them, to shock them when they have fallen asleep. Now, because people don't like um, to be convicted and called to conversion, rather they like their comfort. This is why by the very end of his homily, they want to take him out of the town. They do, and are about to throw him off the cliff and kill him. Note well, this is like the bar for clergy preaching. 
Like, I should always, in seriousness, I should preach the word incessantly, refute falsehood, correct error, call to obedience for love of you and your salvation, even if it means by the end of the homily you want to kill me. Because what is a homily? A homily is an exhortation on the word that's supposed to convict us and call us to deeper conversion. Anything less than that is a failure on the cleric's part. Or it could also mean, like it did for Christ today, that the hearts of the faithful have grown cold. Or worse yet, as God would tell us in the book of Revelation, lukewarm, to which he says, I would vomit those people out of my mouth. The case today is with the people of God in our readings, it's not that they've grown lukewarm. No, their hearts have grown cold and wicked. This is why, like what Christ is calling out, this is why the people get so mad. Like, as he's using these examples from in the time during the prophet Elisha and Elijah, like referencing the time when the people of God became so wicked, they so turned their backs on God and his ways, that like God allowed then calamity, famine, sickness, plague to come upon them, to wake them up. And thus, but as well, his blessing was sent to non-chosen people. To Gentiles, they receive God's blessing because they were striving to follow God. This is recounting this, basically saying, you are wicked, is what he's recounting. And this is why the fury, rage rises up within them and why they want to kill him. Again, the wicked never like being called out or convicted. Now today, while we're in ordinary time, The church, again, with these two sets of Sunday readings together, is calling us to think of, like, whose we are, and as well, like, remembering whose we are, where's our heart? Because that's what ordinary time is for, to think of Christian discipleship, what's ordinary to it, and go, what should we be doing? What should we be expecting? Like, what is our life supposed to look like? And so we need to first a heart check and look, like, how are we doing as the people of God? Because that's who we are. I think it's a sad state of affairs, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're looking at the state of the church, and I'm not talking about the institutional human element of it, I'm talking about the people of God as a whole. Statistically, it's sad. For every one person that comes into the Catholic Church, six leave. Catholics have been infected and indoctrinated with the stuff of the world. So many, like I hear it so often, like they see me in a grocery store or something like, I used to be Catholic. Like, they've been infected with the things of the world. Like, cohabitating, contracepting, like, doing illicit sexual things. Like, getting caught in the ideologies, gender ideology. Thinking that, like, two men can be married together. Like, no, going against the things that the Lord clearly has taught in tradition and even sacred scripture that cannot be. That don't leave the human flourishing and the salvation that he wants for each of us. And that's just the bottom half of, like, the Ten Commandments. Then we know there's the bigger stuff, which is the top half. How many use the Lord's name in vain? How many cast off daily prayer? How many cast off relationship with God that he calls us to through Holy Mass? How many have been like coaxed and tricked or even like beaten into submission by the world that they're cowardly and won't talk about their faith in the world? They won't share the gospel. They won't talk about Jesus Christ and how the church, the Catholic church, is the way, the truth, and the life because it leads us to Jesus truly, really, and substantially. And how much more, like, again, and if we're looking for a reason why maybe people are falling away from the faith, like the, and one of the reasons could be, as the saints would tell us, like, 
the reception of Holy Communion, the Eucharist, when we're not ready to receive him, when we're in an unworthy state. The saints warn against that so much besides St. Paul, which we've reflected upon in the scriptures. He speaks of it, like in how it leads to, like, again, a damnation and it leads to a deadening of the heart. The saints will say, where God gave us, took our stony hearts and made them fleshly hearts, when we do that, it makes our hearts stone again. It gets harder and harder and harder until eventually, like, it might be near impossible for us to repent. So many things, like it's a sad state of affairs for the people of God, and it makes, makes us maybe ask the question, if Jesus asked it again, like he does in Luke chapter 18, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? If Christ was to call out his people again today, the sad news is, he might not find much faith. How do we know this? Again, it's by the actions, it's by love, it's what we do. And so let's look like, and this might be where you want to throw me off a cliff. Like, let's look at ourselves. Again, if, if, if actions, if loving actions show where our hearts are, then that, it tells us what our hearts are. Last week, we celebrated tr the tragic, like, anniversary of the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We had a holy hour here to like recognize that prayer really does something. That when we cry out to God as a corporate body, as a mystical body, like God pours forth grace on the world. And in a, fam in a parish of 7,000 families, there was like maybe 100 people. Do we believe? Do we believe that God actually can change things with prayer? If we're looking at the whole Christian people, not just calling ourselves out, but we always have to, right? At the beginning of Mass, we say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, the things I've done and I've failed to do. What about the whole of the Christian people? How have we not banded together to end that great evil? In just the United States alone, 62 million babies have been aborted. 3,000 are surgically killed every day. And that's not even counting chemical abortions, which doctors estimate that's probably about 14 million a year, which means since 1965, 778 million babies have been killed just in the United States. Worldwide, 125,000 a day. That's two babies every second. That means while we come here to offer, to strive, to enter into the perfect holy sacrifice, which we do enter into it, not just strive, we do, like in that short time here, 7,200 babies will be killed. How could God's people, the ones he's chosen as his own, to eradicate evils, to preach the gospel, to reorder the world according to his ways. How could they let it happen? Lukewarmness. We've let our hearts grow cold. And that calling a spade a spade, like, we have to call this out. Now, good things do exist. Project Rachel exists that helps pregnant mothers. Excuse me, Project Gabriel exists, which helps pregnant mothers. Project Rachel exists to help mothers who have been tricked and pressured into abortion, and now they suffer with psychological and spiritual, like, consequences. So, too, we even have, like, great thing in the Woodlands. We have, like, a Catholic pregnancy center called Loving Choice that's even, like, sponsored and put, uh, owned by some of our own parishioners. This is great. And if ever you know of somebody who is thinking of abortion, please send them to Loving Choice so they can help them and care for them and journey with them. Still, the fact is, we as a people, like how have we not bonded together to eradicate that evil of abortion? The greatest evil, the greatest, like greater than any holocaust that man has ever seen. Today, Jesus calls us to wake up, not just in that area, but in all areas, to wake up and remember like who we are and what we're called to be. 
Let us be like the people who last week in our first reading, who when they heard the word of God, when they heard the law, the ways of God prophesied, spoken, proclaimed, they wept in repentance. But also, too, looking forward to this Sunday, knowing the Psalms, the people who would have known them, knew that when God called somebody out, when he calls us out on our wickedness, it's the beginnings of salvation. Because as he spoke in the psalm, he is a rescuer, he is a deliverer, he is one who is there for those who repent, believe, and surrender all their hearts to him. And make no mistake, we all must do this, me included. We all must. Because so often and so easily, like it was for those people in the gospel, so easily our hearts can go from amazement to not really caring about who Jesus is. And not responding to him rightly. And this is important. Again, we all working for our sanctification, all working for the salvation of others, because as we heard again in last week's gospel or last week's readings, we are all one body. Your sins affect me. My sins affect you. There's no such thing as a private sin. We are all as one body. We all affect each other. If we think of it in a very secular way, if like your liver has cancer, sure, that's the affected organ, but the whole person has cancer. And so when we sin, when we are in grave sin, it affects everyone. And so we must all wake up, repent, believe, and strive to become the people God has called us to be. How do we do this? Through actions of love, through habits of love, through striving to will the good, like will what God wants in our life, to love our neighbor. But so often we, get, we, we lose sight of that, we become childish, we forget God. Like, that's what St. Paul's calling out as we move to our second reading. Like, he, these people, the Corinthians, have repented. They have believed in the gospel. And now they're becoming childish. Now they're like, as St. As Paul was calling out, like, all those different gifts last week of the Holy Spirit, saying, like, these are all good. These are all authentic. And he's ranking them, too. They're sitting there going. And this is why he says, if you don't have love, but you can, like, work miracles, you're a resounding gong. It doesn't matter you can speak in tongues. It doesn't matter you can heal somebody if you don't love. They're starting to like compare gifts and all that sort of stuff, becoming very individualistic on how they're going to use the gifts of God. This reading is, is given to us and is so often used in weddings. Why? Because it's a reminder that we are called to love, a self-sacrificial love that's not focused on ourselves. Sure, can we call and ask God for those gifts of the Holy Spirit, those fruits of the Holy Spirit that he gave in the apostolic ages? Absolutely. But the mark of a true disciple is faith, hope, and most of all, love. To will the good of the other. To love God as he desires to be loved. To love our neighbor to the Lord. That is the diagnostic tool of how our hearts are doing. If we're striving to learn more about God, to follow his ways, to change our lives all more deeply every single day, like we're heading in the right direction. Even if we fall and run to the sacrament of reconciliation, and we know that we do that anytime we have a mortal sin, like still we've gotten back on the path and we're heading in the right direction. If we're not seeking daily conversion to grow deeper in love with God, we're in danger. Propelled by love, if, if love of God, like if we're, if we're seeking the salvation of our neighbor to accompany them in love with patience and kindness to totally surrender to God and his law and his life-giving ways, we're doing good. That's our goal. If we're not, we're in danger. Today in ordinary time, we're, re we're reminded to call upon the Lord to set our hearts into flame, to become who we're called to be. 
little Jeremiah's, ones who God speaks to as well and says, like, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I fashioned you. I dedicated you. I made you for this time. Will you be persecuted? Absolutely. Because the wicked, the worldly, do not like to be called out, but you are called to them, to love them. You are not just called to be little Jeremiah's, you are called to be Christ's, little anointed ones, called to share the life-giving message of God. Again, when this means the proverbial cross, and it will mean it, we may not be, we do have no need to be discouraged as Christ or as God speaks to Jeremiah, like he will be there for us, he will deliver us, he will strengthen us as we continue to come to him in daily prayer in the sacraments. As we like receive the cross of even like Christ, when family and friends deny us, when family and friends won't listen to the prophetic voice of the church in their lives, as we suffer, like there God will console us. There, God will give us the true and everlasting peace and joy. This is the witness of the saints. That as they lived their mission, as they lived the life that God that was calling to, they had joy. And so let us today, recognizing who we are, who we're called to be, shocked maybe into, out of, or rather out of our slumber, let us rise up, implore God, again, to fan our hearts into flame to rekindle within us the fire of his love so that we may respond to the noble calling of our baptism, to proclaim with fervor, with joy, with love, with patience, with kindness, to accompany those who do not know God to his heart, to hear the good news that he desires to set captives free and pay the debt that only he could pay. This is our mission. This is our battle and our battlefield. This is our call to be Christ, to love, to love like him, to shock, to challenge, to convict the world, and to win souls so that they may have the freedom that comes from God. This is our mission. Will we accept it?